You do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy! Hour number two here on this Tuesday. This hour we'll talk some Raiders and Packers from last night at a uh, jam-packed Allegiant Stadium. Uh, we had silver and black. We had green and gold. We had all that. All right? Our next guest uh, will dive into that. And also, look forward to game number two. Of the WNBA Finals, the Aces and the Liberty coming your way tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena. And, of course, Major League Baseball. We've got that going on as well, too. Astros with a 5 nothing lead as we speak. In game number three, trying to go up 2-1 on the Twins. And then the Orioles and the Rangers and the Orioles trying to stave off elimination tonight to the Rangers. And then, of course, uh, Dodgers and Diamondbacks back in action tomorrow, as are the Phillies and the Braves. We get into all of that uh, with you this hour as well. All right. My man, Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was at the game last night. He was at the game the night before. Sam probably will take the night off because he's not much of a hockey guy because we got Golden Knights tonight with the season opener, the defending Stanley Cup champs. They're getting their rings, the second professional team to get their championship rings tonight in the last uh, last 12 months, all right, behind the Aces. But I know Sam will be back at the Michelob Ultra Arena tomorrow night. Sam Gordon, what's going on, brother? TC, happy Tuesday. How you doing? I am good, my friend. I mean, uh, just like you, man. Just, uh, you know, we're spent, man. We're spent, but we love being spent in the sports capital of the world, don't we? Uh, nothing like it. Cannot wait. Um, again, you, you touched, you nailed it. I'm not, will not be a Golden Knights, uh, tonight, although I will be out there a little bit more this season, but Ben Goats and Ed Graney will be out there for us, uh, at the Review Journal tonight. And then tomorrow, uh, massive game too, uh, at the house at Mandalay Bay at McLovulture Arena. So, uh, it doesn't stop. It keeps coming here, uh, in Vegas. Big weekend, uh, as well ahead with, with NASCAR, with golf. Uh, with the, the, uh, a short turnaround for the Raiders, UNLV and UNR on Saturday. So uh, a lot to love here. You nailed it. Sports capital of the world. No question about it. All right, let's talk about last night. I got a chance to see you at the game last night, and uh, I, I love it. I, I think there's only two people in the entire press box last night that went over the food offerings, and, and we said, mm, oh, that's great for, for you guys over there, but... Nah, I think we'll eat afterwards. And that was me and Sam Gordon, right, Sam? Now, what now what was it for you that you weren't feeling the food last night? Uh, no, I mean, I, with all due respect, TC, uh, to, the, to the fine staff and the meal staff at Allegiant Stadium. Oh, they're great. Yes, last, they're night's great. Meal, yeah. last night's meal did not exactly float my boat. I, I, I preferred instead the, the salad. Uh, the salad with uh, the assortment of, of different kind of deli-style meats. No dressing, unfortunately, for the salad, so I, I, I ate it dry, but that was definitely my preference compared to some of the other assorted items uh, they had out at Allegiant Stadium. But uh, I digress. Do you see another fantastic – I mean, the game might not have been fantastic by any means, but the atmosphere 
on Monday Night Football with, with the Green Bay Packer fans congregating in Allegiant Stadium and then the Raider fans having quite a bit of few things to cheer about uh, last night. I thought it was an incredible atmosphere, uh, even if the uh, the food did not quite meet uh, what, what, what we saw uh, at Allegiant Stadium in terms of the energy and the yeah. crowd. And, and again, uh, just to clarify, because like I said, they do a fantastic job of preparing that food and everything. But, you know, when I see, uh, you know, some seafood and I see, I don't know what that was, crabs and that kind of stuff. And, and I, I was confused, Sam, because I'm going like, wait, this is Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know how normally the Raiders will, will the staff will, will try to go to like the Opponents of okay, Kansas City will have some barbecue or that sort of thing. I didn't see the connection with the, the offerings uh, of food last night uh, comparable to Green Bay, Wisconsin. For guys lived there for 12 years. Yeah, I mean, I thought we were going to get something something cheese related for sure, sure. some kind of cheese curd or, or something like that. But fun fact, you see, um, I don't, I'm not a seafood guy. I don't eat seafood at all, right? Uh, of any kind, right? right. Uh, of any kind, just not for me. Uh, my dad actually was a crab fisherman out in the Bering Sea off of the coast of Alaska uh, when he was in his 20s. So seafood was a big part of my childhood and my life. And no matter what he did to kind of encourage me to kind of push myself or try different things, it, it just never, it, me and seafood never clicked. So with all due respect, uh, you know, again, again, I'm glad our colleagues uh, in the media, in the press box last night, were able to enjoy uh, the, the spread and the display. Again, I thought, again, I thought there were going to be some cheese curds or something with cheese, right? So we saw <laughs> Cheese heads all over the stadium. Thought we'd see some cheese. We did not, and it was the salad for me. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, Sam, uh, I don't know if it's that way. Well, if the Vi- the Vikings haven't been here, right? I mean, they'll, they'll be here later. They, they haven't, they haven't In been December, here. right? Right, exactly. So, so for me, I enjoyed it because I got to see a lot of my former Green Bay colleagues last night who cover the Packers, travel with the Packers, and uh, that that was pretty cool. And you, you'll probably run into that in December for you. You know, coming from Minnesota and everything. So I enjoyed that. And what I did last night was, you know, I spent the first half up in the press box and then in, in the second uh half i wanted to make sure that uh I, I got down and got some of that ambience you know down in the bowl and the field and stuff last night and uh it was i mean i thought you know when i and we talked about this leading up to this game that i thought it was going to rival the crowd for the pittsburgh steelers i thought it was going to rival that and, and it certainly did even though the steelers were maybe dressed more you know, with the gold and the black and they had, and they brought the terrible towels inside with them. Uh, but the Packer fans, I mean, you could hear it, but really visually, if you're looking at the stadium, like from where we were at the press box, it wasn't that noticeable, but man, was it, uh, visible or I should say audible, you know, by listening when the Packers scored or the Packers had a Jimmy Garoppolo sack, you know, on the defensive side, that sort of thing. And I don't know, Sam, I would say, uh, maybe even more Packer fans than Steelers. What's your call? I mean, I heard "Go Pack Go" anytime the Packers were rearing up to do something. You see, and, yeah. and you you nailed it uh, in terms of the reaction to the significant plays the Packers had. Now that said, I did think the Raider crowd when the Raiders uh, made a play that they, they were right. They were barking right back in terms of their their energy and, and the loudness of their cheers. So it was a back and forth. And being how close the game was. Uh, the back-and-forth nature of the game with both teams really, I mean, who wanted to win last night, right? The Raiders, of course, at the end of the day, able to seal the victory. But neither team, I think, played a, a great game by any means. Uh, sloppily played in a lot of ways. But that made it close. That made it competitive. Uh, that made it interesting. And it made every single play. If you had a first down, a sack, a 12-yard gain, a 20-yard gain, an interception, a deflection, all the, the assortment of plays that were made last night, uh, each one kind of took on a, a greater significance because they were so – Few and far between big pictures. So uh, a defensive battle, if you want to call it that, I think credit to both defenses certainly played well. 
Uh, but also a, a lack of offense was also part of the game that we saw last night, too. I think it was both things kind of working in conjunction, in conjunction with one another. But either way, to your original point, it made for a great crowd, a fun night, Monday night football, anytime a primetime game. Primetime games just have a different feel to it, and that will never change. And mo- there's something about Monday night football. It is a pillar of, I think, American culture, a pillar of culture here in America, a, a night of TV, uh, a night of, of, of the calendar, one night a week get dedicated to a game. It was cool to know that all eyes uh, were on Las Vegas and the crowd did their part in, in making sure. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it looked like or sounded like at home for those watching the broadcast, but I know being in the stadium last night, the crowd certainly did, did its part. And it's something, again, in terms of opposing teams, something the Raiders are going to have to combat to some degree, I think, as long as they're here, being that the Vegas is the the tourist market that it is, and, and that it's always going to be a fun weekend on the calendar for opposing fan bases and, and fans for, of opposing teams to come out here, have a fun time in Vegas for a couple of days, and then and then and bring it all to, bring it all together with a game on Sunday. So that's going to be something the Raiders are going to have to work against, but they can do themselves some favors and get more silver and black in the crowd by continuing to win uh, like they did last night. So it's it's a step. I'm not sure how significant of a step it is for the Raiders. But for a team that, you know, was struggling through the first four weeks to get anything right, the fact that they're able to, to win a close game and, and execute late uh, defensively uh, might go, uh, you know, might it's a start in terms of, in terms of fixing, uh, or at least how they're going to look at it, fixing the, the balance or imbalance that they have with opposing fans compared to fans of their own. Sam Gordon joins us, Las Vegas Review Journal, talking about Raiders and Packers last night at Allegiant Stadium. It was not a pretty game. You're right. It was, it was almost like an, an ugly game, and uh, neither quarterback uh, was outstanding. Uh, Jordan Love cost his team, plain and simple, Sam, uh, three interceptions. If he doesn't have the three interceptions, especially that one at the end in the end zone, uh, the Green Bay Packers may escape Las Vegas with a victory last night. And uh, total yards... Uh, neither team got over 300 in total yards. Packers had 285. The Raiders had 279. Uh, neither team really could, uh, you know, move the ball through the air. And we saw that both coaches take the ground and pound attack there, which yeah. kind of made for a, a quicker game and maybe not as, as an exciting, you know, type of game. But I don't know. Uh, it just seemed that it was a, a game where both teams needed it, but I really didn't see either team, Sam. Uh, do enough to win the game. And when the Raiders got out of there with a victory, it was like against anybody else, and they probably have another L in this game. I don't, that's the feeling that I had, but uh, I just wasn't overly impressed with either team. No, not at all. I mean, it was a it was a, uh, a meeting of mediocrity, right? At least certainly up to this point, where I, where I do think the Raiders can hang their heads, or not hang their heads, hold their heads high, rather, is they've only allowed one touchdown in the last six quarters and, and be it against Jordan love or be it uh, against, uh, against Justin Herbert on a day where he's struggling or it, it doesn't matter for a team that has struggled as bad defensively as this team has the last few years. The fact that they're able to get pressure, that they're able to force turnovers is a step in the right direction. And again, six, six quarters, one touchdown, that's nothing to necessarily sneeze at. Does that mean that the Raiders have suddenly become the purple people leaders or the steel curtain? Not not even remotely close. But it gives them something to build on. And because their defense played well, again, led by Max Crosby, who was a one-man wrecking crew out there with what he was able to do uh, in the pass game, in the run game, uh, how he was able to you know, force penalties, got, you know, generated a holding call because of uh, the uh, pressure he was able to um, to get on Jordan Love, it's you, this team. You're, you're going to have to develop some sort of identity. And with the schedule coming up 
the Patriots, the Bears, and then a couple New York teams um, coming here to Allegiant Stadium. Those are games, in theory, that are all winnable and, and quarterbacks that are all w- kind of willing to give away, the, give away the ball when you take a look at the signal callers for the next four teams. So we, we, this is five games now where the Raiders haven't scored. They haven't been able to move the ball. They are yet to score over 20 points. I don't know what the exact stat is, TC, but I'm sure you saw the one I'm going to reference floating around. There's only been a handful of teams in NFL history to not score uh, 20 points in, in any of their first five games. Or I don't know if it's NFL history, if it was dating back to 1990 or whatever, but there was a prominent stat that there was very few teams that had scored, uh, it, it struggled to score as much as the Raiders have through f- first five weeks. None of them won a game. You know, they, they all struggled to win a game. The Raiders are, are two and three. So the fact that they're able to win, they, that they have two wins with an offense near the bottom of the NFL in rushing, bottom of the NFL in time of possession, that can't put points on the board, that hasn't scored more, than 18 points in a game this season, it, it is a credit. It's you, certainly last night was a, was a credit to their defense. So can can they sustain some of that against teams uh, where, where the quarterback play isn't great? Teams that are in, in you know situations of their own, trying to figure things out, uh, trying to figure out whether they're going to you know have, they have the capabilities to be competitive or not. If they're going to be in the Caleb Williams or Caleb Williams sweepstakes at the end of the season. That's what we're going to learn. So they, they won the game with defense. It certainly wasn't with offense. They have a myriad of issues on that side of the ball, and I don't expect that to necessarily change anytime soon. But with Max Crosby and a secondary that was active uh, and a linebacking core that was fast, Robert Spillane, a couple interceptions, uh, that, that should give them an opportunity if, if to, to win you know, a couple of the next few games. So we'll see what happens. It was not – I'm with you. It wasn't, necess- it wasn't an impressive performance. By any means, you know, Josh McDaniels, again, with an opportunity to ice the game with a fourth and two, elects to kick a field goal. There's been a few head-scratching decisions uh, on his part. Uh, but Jordan Love uh, didn't, just isn't there yet as a starting quarterback. He, he really struggled, and the Raiders were able to induce some turnovers, including Amit Robertson's pick. So they're not going to apologize for that win, and nor should they. Yeah, Robert Spillane and Max Crosby were great on the defensive side of the ball, no question. Uh, again, Packer, patchwork offensive line, uh, and Jordan Love, not a good quarterback, uh, you know, at all. Um, the story here, though, is Devontae Adams. And when you have a player like Devontae Adams, it just still does not seem like the Raiders are using him properly. Last night, four, four catches. Uh, I'm not even sure he had more, ta- uh, even many more targets than the four last night. Only 45 yards, and in that one, you know, basically game-winning drive that they had, where they, where they scored the the winning points, uh, it was Devonte Adams who was key on that drive. But it just seemed like he was pretty much silent, Sam. And I understand that you know he was injured, had a little sh- a shoulder injury, and really didn't practice much at all this past week. I get that, but if he's ready and suited up to play, uh, when they went to him, he looked fine. Yards after the catch were great. It looked like vintage Devontae Adams. But I just don't understand uh, why he is not a, a, a bigger piece of this offense. And then there's Hunter Renfro. I mean, here's a guy again that had one catch and I think one target again last night. And I'll say this. The Raiders did a pretty good job of spreading the ball around. I believe that uh, Garoppolo hit seven receivers last night. But you you don't need to do that. When you have a guy like Devontae Adams and, and a weapon like Hunter Renfro – I mean, use those guys, especially Adam. So for me, it's a big mystery here offensively, and it just correlates exactly what you're talking about here, a team that can't score over 20 points. Yeah, four targets for Adams is unacceptable and uh, by any stretch. And, and he said as much in his postgame uh, media scrum in the locker room yesterday. So you said that you know, regardless of the coverage, if double coverage or bracket coverage or having a, 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 a two safeties deep, having one, you know, one to his side of the field, 
take away a deep half or something. If that's all it takes to to, to marginalize or neutralize Devonte Adams, uh, then quite frankly, if that's 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 not good enough. That shouldn't be the case. And he's a guy, a TC, that I think sometimes you got to force feed him the ball, and that means maybe throwing it to him in situations where he has to make a contested catch because he's proven more than capable throughout his career, throughout the course of his career, of making plays that maybe other receivers aren't supposed to make. So. Uh, there were times um, that he was open yesterday. There were times he was open off the line. There were times that if, if Jimmy Garoppolo had a little bit more time in the pocket and is able to, to kind of step up and then isn't under so much duress, uh, he's able to find him you know, late as well. Uh, either way, four targets uh, isn't nearly enough. And, and the marginalization or you know, complete reduction of uh, Hunter Renfro from this offense remains puzzling. I, I would be one thing, TC, if the Raiders were moving the ball and scoring 25, you know, 28 points a game without him, but what they're doing right now is not working. So maybe it's time to, to try and figure out a way to incorporate his skills, his talents. I know under the previous regime, you know, he, he was able to kind of freelance a little more and, and had more uh, optionality in terms of his route running than he does now. But, but maybe it's time to, to, to kind of green light him for some of that stuff because it was just two years ago that he had 100 catches and 1,000 yards and was uncoverable in the slot for a team that went 10-7 and seven and made the playoffs. And the fact that he's one of the highest – you know, not not top five or top ten or anything, but he's one of the twenty highest paid receivers uh, in the NFL. A deal that was you know given out by this regime, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, and it makes no sense for thirteen million dollars or whatever his salary is this year, fourteen million dollars to sit on the sideline when the offense is going three and out, you know, over and over and over again, or struggling in the red zone the way they did uh, on first and goal from the seven after Roberts Pelaine's first interception set them up with premium real estate. Uh, in a goal-to-go situation uh, early in, in the game, I believe that was midway through the second quarter. So uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's w- what's going on in, in, in Raiders practices and what's happening here in order to yield these results. We don't get to see practice like we did uh, in training camp, so we don't, we're not exactly sure what's happening and what's being done to address the issues. But so far through five games, it's a lot of the same. It's you know, short, a running game that's totally ineffective. It's, uh, as a result, a lot of kind of predictable passing down. So opposing the defenses uh, can blitz a little more like the Packers did yesterday in terms of ratcheting up their blitzing or, or get pressure uh, with, with their front four like, like Buffalo was able to do if you, if you just have a good defensive front or the Steelers. So, uh, yeah, Devontae Adams in no game should be marginalized like that. And, and the, the curious case of Hunter Renfro uh, remains exactly that. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll see if there's anything different against the New England team on Sunday that is, you know, in worse shape, certainly at one and four, in worse shape than the Raiders, as bad a shape as any team in the NFL. Uh, right now, coming off of two games in which they just got outscored, I, what was it, 30, 34 nothing and 38 yeah. three? Right. Something like that. 72 right. three their last couple games. Right. So this is a. You know Bill Belichick is not going to want to lose to a protege, and you know at the very least they're going to be prepared uh, on the defensive side of the ball against an offense that's been that's, that's struggled uh, at this juncture, even though the Patriots are dealing with some injuries. So uh, regardless of how well the defense plays, T.C., once the schedule turns up a little bit, as, as it's going to in the second half, uh, unless they get the offense together and are able to put together some points, it's not going to matter if the defense is you know, improved uh, from last season. It's not going to matter at all. Uh, the offense, again, one of the worst in the NFL in, in four targets for Devontae Adams is, isn't helping anything out by any means. All right. Well, the opposite side of that spectrum is uh, the residents over at the Michelob Ultra in the Mandalay Bay. They have no problem scoring. Uh, number one in the WNBA put 99 on the board on Sunday afternoon. 
as they defeated the New York Liberty 99-82. to Number one offense, number one defense, number one in pace. And uh, the Aces uh, put it all together, Sam. And I know that you were there. You enjoyed it uh, just as much as I did. And uh, that was a big win. And any time that you have a best-of-five series, uh, that getting that game number one on your home floor is vitally important. And again, now they are two victories away from going back-to-back. Really thought, TC, on Sunday, their second half, the second half they played, all things considered, right, stage, situation, circumstance, what's on the line, was as good of a half as the team has ever played at any point uh, since they've been in Las Vegas. I mean, Sandy Brondello said as much. The Aces were so in sync on both sides of the ball, especially defensively against a team that's had their number all year long. Uh, they, they, it was the, the, the final score, TC, doesn't reflect how dominant of a performance in the second half this was the fourth quarter for the most part was not competitive because the aces were so good on that end. So uh, that being said, all they did was do what they were supposed to do. They're the home team. They're the favorite in the series. It's their job to take care of game one. And I'm expecting a better effort tomorrow from the Liberty. The, the aces, I think kind of beat them at their own game. The Liberty are the, are the bigger, you know, generally thought to be the more physical team. That's how they were able to kind of win those matchups uh, the la- during this later part of the season uh, against the aces. But on Sunday, despite giving up some size in the second half, the aces were one really, really sound and connected in their help side rotations uh, in terms of being at the right spots on the floor. So they could be a little bit more aggressive uh, defending on the perimeter. You saw Maureen Johannes trapped instead of, you know, uh, shooting, catching and shooting freely or dribbling freely, uh, coming off handoffs like she was in the first half. And then as a result, when you're trapping, the rotations have to be on point. When shots went up, it was all five to the glass. There was a physicality from the Aces guards and perimeter players when it came to rebounding. And, of course, Asia Wilson and Kia Stokes, their tandem, uh, as good on the glass as there is. And they were they, they, they were they played bigger than New York's front line. And, and when you're limiting the Liberty to one shot, the Aces, as we know, TC, are as good as it gets in transition. So they were able, as a result, by not, of not getting killed on the offensive glass like they did during the regular season, you're able to run out, get out, run in transition, and set your offense quicker than they're able to set their defense. And I thought the Aces did a phenomenal job of attacking the matchups that they had, you know, the advantageous matchups that they had. Of course, if you're the Liberty, you're going to want to limit the duo of, of Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray as much as possible. They both had very, very good games, just not quite the games that Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum had. They had the favorable offensive matchups with the attention being paid to Asia and Chelsea. They, they, they're, they're able to, to feast upon the defensive matchups. Jackie Young being guarded by Sabrina Ionescu and then Kelsey Plum being guarded by Courtney Vanderson. Great offensive players, all-star players, not known for their defensive capabilities. The Aces, uh, it, was a, it was a schooling in the second half in terms of ball movement, in terms of attacking matchups and in terms of uh, defensive rotation and co- uh, rotations and cohesiveness when it came to executing a game plan uh, and expecting the Liberty to be, one, much more physical uh, in terms of trying to, to, to rely on their advantages and, and reemphasize their advantages that they have uh, with size and then, and then expecting to see some different defensive looks. You can't maintain those matchups, be it if it's going to be more switching, maybe a little zone. I- I'm not exactly sure what look we're going to see, uh, but not expecting Benazza Laney to guard Chelsea Gray uh, the entire game. I would expect her to, to see some time on Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum and at least make the aces do something differently than they were able 
uh, to do in the second half. So uh, a super competitive first half with the Aces that showed their championship poise and their experience. We'll see how the Liberty respond on Wednesday. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. The Aces have so uh, much weaponry on, on the offense and where you can get those those mismatches. And when I talked to Becky before the game and I asked her point blank, I said, you know, every time we have a, a championship series, it doesn't matter, a, a finals, no matter what sport it is, there's usually that unsung hero, okay? And we saw it last year with Raquana Williams. She was definitely uh, that piece, you know, that no one really expected came off the bench and delivered those big threes in the victory against uh, Connecticut last year. And I asked her, I said, who do you think it is? And she uttered two names. She says Jackie Young and Alicia Clark, and then bingo boom uh, for for both of those. Alicia Clark played 28 minutes. Uh, she was yep. phenomenal on both ends of the floor, and what she brings, and we've known that for a while. Uh, but now she's going to see extensive minutes because Becky isn't going to go much to that bench. You're not going to see much of Kirsten Bell and not going to see any Kayla George and this and that. And they've got to, they're going to go six deep and she's going to ride with, with the horses, the core four and then have Kia Stokes do what she can do, you know, on the defensive end and then have Alicia Clark come in. And Alicia Clark was great. But, you know, to your point of what you just said, the reason why Jack Young is getting these opportunities because they can create those type of mismatches with the Liberty's guards. The Liberty's, you know, as good as Sabrina Nescu is and Courtney Vandersloot, uh, they're not as good as the Aces three guards. And I think that's where the difference in the series is. And if you can get John Quell Jones in foul trouble like they did, you know, John Quell Jones, she's going to do what she did uh, her time in yep. Connecticut last year. I mean, she'll blow a gasket. You'll, you're throwing her off her game. And she was a different player as she was in the second half when she picked up her fourth foul. So I just think that, you know, there's, so many things that Becky can do, and she is just marvelous at making those changes, whether it's halftime adjustments or during the in-game timeouts uh, to do that. And then it could be Jackie Young. It could be Kelsey Plum. It could be Chelsea Gray. It could be Asia Wilson. And like you said, we're, we're, we're talking about a 17-point blowout that felt like about 25 or 30, and that was with Asia yeah. Wilson getting 19 and Chelsea Gray only getting 20. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the thing about that, this group at this point, and it's a credit, um, obviously to Becky Hammond, but also the culture that, that Bill Lambeer helped instill yes. as well. Like nobody cares who's scoring. They just want, this is a team at this point. All, all four of those players have their, have their individual accolades. They're as accomplished as it gets collectively. And, and you know, certainly individually at various, various levels, all stars, uh, all WNBA caliber players. This is, this, this is a group that understands that to achieve those things, it's about winning. And, the, the selflessness, I think, was on display. And, uh, Asia Wilson, right? The, the, who I believe should have been the MVP of the league. You know, almost, almost 23 a game this year, a career, a career game. And, and the, she was totally fine deferring to the guards and, and scoring when the ball came to her. The ball doesn't ever stick, uh, or certainly didn't stick on Sunday with the Aces. And Chelsea Gray wasn't forcing anything, not, not necessarily looking for her offense unless a matchup, uh, dictated it. And because the Aces are so diverse in their offensive style, they can go with a smaller lineup. Uh, with Alicia Clark in for Kia Stokes, so they can go bigger. Uh, they, they have a number of guards that, you know, all three of their, their, their starting perimeter players, uh, can do stuff off the dribble and create for others as well. And then it, when Asa Wilson has, uh, advantages under the basket, she's as good as it gets around the rim, uh, certainly offensively and then defensively as well. So, uh, it'll be interesting again, TC, to see what the, the Liberty do. I think one thing that, that, I mean, if it's a totally different game, if some of those shots just go in, in the first half, the Liberty got some good looks. Sabrina Ionescu didn't shoot well. Courtney Vandersloop, again, uh, I think another 
subtle adjustment that the Aces made in the, in the second half. They allowed her to kind of shoot whatever whatever shot she wanted. She's a, a, a certainly the one of the, the greatest floor generals in the history of the league, but she's a, a streaky shooter. So anytime she's shooting the ball, that means Sabrina Ionescu and Brianna Stewart aren't shooting the ball. It means John Quell Jones isn't posting up underneath the basket at six foot six. So how, how do they redistribute their shots uh, and, and do some of their three pointers go in again? They, they got relatively clean looks. If some of those shots go in, it's a totally different ball game. So I think the aces know that they're in for a series. Uh, Kelsey Plum, after her 26 point game, a majority of her buckets at the rim, at the basket, kind of showing how she took advantage uh, of, of the matchup with Courtney Vandersloot was not content to stand around the three point line and jack up shots. She said after the game, uh, on Sunday that she knows she's not going to get the same kind of look. So it will be a different defensive game plan. I'm sure there will be some different offensive wrinkles for the Liberty where, where they're able to get John Quell Jones and Brianna Stewart touches and I think more favorable spots in, in, in easier offense. How do the Aces respond to that? I think you hit the nail on the head. Be- Becky Hammond showed last postseason not only big picture is, is she as good as it gets in terms of constructing a game plan, but she's also good at adjusting and, 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 and recognizing when other teams are doing things well and making changes as we saw on Sunday with the traffic of Marine Johannes. So uh, it's one game, you know, the Aces are up one nothing, but it's a series for a reason. The Liberty uh, still, sh- you know, are in this series. They should feel like they're in this series and they only need one in Las Vegas. So I, I would expect that they're, you're- they're going to throw every wrinkle uh, at the Aces. You're not really saving anything anymore. They both played game one. They both have a feel for what worked and what didn't work. And, and now we see kind of the coaching test match uh, that we see throughout a playoff series, how that comes into factor uh, in game two. And game two is really the pivotal game in this series. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the odd numbers of games, you know, when you have a five game series is really, you know, like one and three and obviously five. But in this uh, to me, Sam, is is really huge for the Aces to get this victory because I can tell you firsthand, I was there for two games in the Barclays Center during the regular season, and the Aces did not play well. And that is a tough place to play. It really is. And, and that fan base yep. and that crowd and what they do in-game uh, and the way the Liberty play on their home floor, it is a tough place. And not to mention the cross-country travel uh, for the Aces as well, too. You, you factor all that in. Uh, if this series goes back, uh, one game apiece, uh, it could be danger time in games three and four. Even though I think it's it's tough to beat the Aces three times in a series and to uh, take this championship away from them, but I think they need game two, Sam. How do you how do you see tomorrow night's game going? Uh, I think it's going to be played within single digits. We haven't seen uh, you know a close game between these teams not once throughout the course of no. They've all been they've all been kind of followed the same script where whoever takes the uh, you know takes the uh, the, the, the advantage early in the third quarter kind of runs away with things in the second half and for the Liberty a couple times, you know, even in the aces in the first one, it didn't even take that long for, for some separation to be established. So because of the situation, right, I, I do think, uh, being that the, the Liberty are down, um, one nothing, we're going to see desperation there. Uh, we're going to see desperation there. Uh, I would expect the aces to be equally as desperate because if they lose, Tomorrow, then the Liberty did their job. They, they stole one on the Aces floor, and that would, of course, mean the Aces have to go into New York, who has, a, like, as you mentioned, also an incredible fan base. Um, one thing we didn't mention yet, TC, the atmosphere on Sunday was second to none. It was spectacular, uh, spectacular atmosphere throughout. Really credit to, to everybody involved for making Aces games kind of what they are. But Brooklyn has, the, the Barclays Center, the Liberty have built their own thing by investing in, in great players like the, like, like the ones they have on their team and putting money and resources and infrastructure into making the product great and to making the environment and the atmosphere great for fans. So 
Uh, we're going to see, I think, desperation from both teams in the game finally played uh, within a couple possessions. And, and uh, you'd have to you know, favor the Aces still because of the experience and know-how factor, but nothing would be a shock uh, on Wednesday night given the level of play, given the talent we have. Uh, in, in both side, by both teams. The only thing that would surprise me is if the, if the Liberty got blown out uh, again. I think they've proven uh, at this point that they're too good. They're too well coached. They have too many players, too, too many superstar caliber players and players with this experience. Brianna Stewart, uh, Courtney Vandersloot being a couple of them that are, are steeled by championships and they're going to be ready to go knowing what the environment is and knowing what to expect. Um, now that the Aces kind of showed their hand a little bit, just like the Liberty Liberty did in Game One, there are going to be adjustments on both sides. But we're, I don't think we're going to see a duplicate, you know, a, a same script. I think the game's going to take on a little bit different of, of a tenor. And will the Aces be able to match the physicality that I expect the Liberty to come with? That's what we're going to find out. Great stuff, Sam. Appreciate it, and we will look forward to seeing you tomorrow night at the house. Um, sounds good, TC. Appreciate you having me and looking forward to it as well. Uh, always good to see you. Great to see you again on Monday night. And uh, looking forward to a, a great game uh, and another electric atmosphere at Michelob Ultra Arena. No doubt, brother. Thanks. Take care. There he is. You too. Sam Gordon. Uh, go check him out at uh, at uh, Great Follow on Twitter, of course, by Sam Gordon. And then at the uh, LasVegasReviewJournal.com. Uh, Sam, great columnist, covers everything Las Vegas. Doesn't matter uh, if it's Raiders, if it's uh, Aces, UNLV, Golden Knights, World Championship Boxing. Uh, Sam is great and uh, love having him a uh, part of the show. When we come back, we'll talk a little more uh, NFL and more update with Major League Baseball right here on this terrible Tuesday. All right, let me put some water on your balls. More from the master debater. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Don't forget, we will be back at the Westgate Las Vegas inside the Superbook on Thursday. Marco D'Angelo and myself. Scott Sprites will be joining us. Jake Cornegay as well. Get ready for a little Thursday night football. Chiefs in the Broncos. So make sure you come on out see the show live. Check us out. Friday, I will be on the road traveling to New York. All right, get ready for Aces and Liberty games three and four. We'll see what happens tomorrow night with game number two with Aces if they can go up two games to none. But yes, programming note, Westgate of Las Vegas, Superbook on Thursday. And yes, Cool in the Gang, great shows last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all packed. And uh, it was fantastic. Uh, loved it because they changed up the show. And you know, most artists, they have basically like three different set, two three different set lists or shows when they play successive nights but this was totally different um I believe this is what this is the third time I've seen them fourth time I've seen them within the last year um coming to to the Westgate of Las Vegas in the International Theater as part of their um part-time residency there uh, Barry Manilow of course is there a lot and then you know cool comes what uh, two three times a year uh but they were there for three nights and uh, the production elements were fantastic. Uh, the music, of course, great. Incorporated uh, a few different uh, songs, but every song, you know, hit after hit after hit, just fantastic uh, with Cool and the Gang. Uh, but they um, they hired a, a lady from England to come um, do some different stuff with, with video 
and uh, some stage props and that sort of thing. And they even incorporated a, um, an acrobatic, uh, dancer who was flying around from the, uh, uh, from the ceiling on Cirque on, style. Cirque style. 100% Cirque style. I mean, she had the rings going. She had the, like, like, like the drapes or whatever, you yeah. know, getting caught up with the legs and like, holy moly. And it's like, okay, they, this is, I've never seen them do that in all the years, either working with them, promoting them or, or, or going to shows. But, uh, just goes to show you how they've, uh, evolved, uh, over time. And, uh, I had to go Saturday night because it was Robert Kubel's 82nd birthday. Makes my 40s seem so <laughs> bad. Got away. You're halfway there, brother. I am halfway almost there. halfway there. Think about that. But no, and, and for him to do that the way he does it, still uh, amazing, phenomenal. Uh, the band Titus can be a uh, great show. So you get a chance to see Cool and the Gang when they come back to the Westgate. Definitely do that, and uh, not a lot another a lot more great shows coming your way at the at the Westgate in the International Theater as well here uh, coming up in the next uh, couple months. So I feel like Fox has an ear on the show. I know, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm just looking now, and I see that Adam Wainwright explains the difference between a sweeper and a slider. And as Chris Bosio told us in the last hour, I was like, nah. And I'll tell you the same thing. It's there really is is no different, and I love I love the way Bosio said. Yes, yeah, some guy from Brown University, some analytic guy, said this because oh, they said you know the slider is going to bite a little bit more, and the sweeper basically comes and sweeps across the plate. It's it's a little bit different arm angle and all that stuff. Would you like to hear Adam's exp- explanation from okay. today's game? Adam Wainwright, who is now uh working with with fox i think he's right? working postseason yeah he's working postseason yeah. with fox because we just got done uh and it looks like uh you know he has retired and uh they were trying to get him i believe it was it was his 200th victory the cardinals were uh and he had he struggled this year no doubt about it so i've been watching him during these first two rounds of the playoffs so uh yeah let's hear what adam wainwright has to say regarding the slider and the sweeper a sense of, of what it means exactly. Well, a slider is going to break traditionally eight, nine inches horizontally, right? A sweeper, they call it a sweeper because on average it's breaking 12 to 14. Now, Sonny's actually slides a little bit more than that. On average, it's sliding 15.5 inches right to left. So it's a big... Altuve hits it hard but pulls it foul. It's a big breaking pitch. And the difference in a sweeper and a slider, it's... I'll see if I can get there. Okay. When you throw a slider, you're going to see a red dot, and it's going to be towards the bottom left of the ball. That means it's going down. A sweeper, when you throw the sweeper, when you come through, it's there's some science behind this. This seam right here, if you can see, this seam... This seam has to be pointed in the right direction, and it's kind of angled up and to the right. And when that catches the air halfway through, that's when it starts really taking off right to left. And what happens is it just moves more than a hitter's eyes think it's moving. And so it's to- it's totally different than another slider. It's totally different than a curveball, and it's different. And it's kind of it's just an off. It's just weird, right? Like hitters don't see that. All right, Adam Wainwright. All right, so you buying that? That sounds a lot like science from Brown University. Right. I'm sticking with Boz. There you go, right? You know how you say F math? F science. Thank you very much for that. Yes. Never as much for science. Not much for science. Huh? 
I've told the story many times. I spent a good part of my science class reading the racing form from the San Francisco Chronicle with Doc Williams, my uh, uh, science teacher. Doc had to be in his 60s when I was in high school. And uh, he had the uh, he had the racing form there. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna scout some horses today and some baseball games. He goes, That's good. Don't, we're not gonna we're not gonna do anything anyway today. And he'd get out, you know, he had the white coat on, he had you know the bubbles. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't pay attention to science. So you so we we were going back and forth texting earlier. Yes. During the weekend. Yeah. And you also said F mattress firm for some reason. And I don't know why. Ooh. Because there's Conrad. Can we have a breaking news sounder? I don't know. I mean, uh, Mattress Mac. All right. Not a happy camper because let me tell you a story. Okay. And I'm sure we'll get some, uh, some audio out of this as well, too. Yes. Breaking news out of Houston. Game one of the ALDS, the Houston Astros, taking on the Minnesota Twins, right? And so what do the Astros do? They ask Mattress Mac to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. So I'm all excited for him. I say, okay, hey, we're going to have you, have you on the show and uh, we'll talk about this. And I've seen Mattress Mac throw out first pitch several occasions going back to game six of the World Series last year was with him when he did Where it. they had the petition to say, petition signed to have him sign it. it. Yeah. Yes. That was all crowd and the Astros, uh, doing a great thing there. Said, so, yeah. Now, Mattress Mac, gallery furniture in Houston spends a lot of money. He's one of the primary sponsors of the Houston Astros, along with Freddy's, Whataburger, and a couple of others. Mattress Mac right there. And so he has carte blanche pretty much at the ballpark. He has seats behind the Astros dugout. He's got seats uh, in the suites. Um, he's If you ever watch another, you watch another game at Minute Maid Park, there is a suite area. I think I told you I was there for a couple of innings last yeah. year. Uh, the right field where you could sit through. Great food out there. So he's got seats everywhere. Then he's got the nuns above center field. Yeah. So he, Mac has about 40 seats to every game. Spends a lot of money, right? And he's a legend in Houston. He's done so much for hurricane relief and the disasters they've had. Just a great, great man, as we know. And he likes to bet. And he's got a lot of money on the Astros for to win this World Series as well. But anyway, get to that in a minute. He was supposed to throw out the ceremony first pitch at game one. I said, okay, Mac, we're going to have you on the show. Now I have to have Mac on a show for a different reason because of what didn't transpire Saturday's game one. Hi, Mattress Mac here. Gallery Furniture saying, go Strohs, big game today. I was all excited. They called me two days ago, say you want to throw out the first pitch at Minute Maid Park. I said, well, of course. Quite an honor. I threw out the pitch in game six last year against the Phillies and uh, uh, even better was yesterday uh, Reggie Jackson who's a consultant to the Astros uh, Mr. October a great friend of mine called me up said he's gonna I need to get there early and warm up so I wouldn't bounce the ball and embarrass myself I said good idea Reggie uh, however I got a call from the Astros a couple of minutes ago saying that Mattress Firm is a national sponsor of Major League Baseball which is fine good for them and they said that uh they weren't going to let me throw out the first pitch. And last year, during the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, I was scheduled to be a uh, judge of the police dog competition. There's a police dog, my friend Constable Mark Herman, as part of his unit. Uh, the police dog's named Mattress Mac. He catches criminals and does drugs, drugs bomb sniffing. So uh, I was looking forward to going down there and judge Mattress Mac. Mattress firms sponsor the rodeo, too, and they said, no, you can't 
judge the dog show. Really? Uh, my message to mattress firmers, there's plenty of business out there for all of us. What we need to do is promote betting, promote a better night's sleep, not snipe at our competitors. Uh, I'm sure that my endless advertising of Tampa Pity sells lots of matches for mattress firm. And uh, all I got to say is, let's all be better than that and go Strohs! <laughs> mattress back. There it is. Now, when he said that we need to promote betting and then he said a good night's sleep, do you think he was talking about betting, B-E-T-T-I-N-G or B-E-D-D-I-N-G? I think he's talking about the double D's. He was. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at the video, he when he says it, he points to a table. It looks like there's a betting sheet on there. B E T T I N G. That's a mattress or a mattress. Look at a table. Yeah. I see that, the mattress. That's a full mattress. The mattress he didn't is point, white. He didn't point uh, at the table. The, yeah. That's the cover. But there's a piece of paper that's on that, that table. That explains what the, what's so special about that certain mattress. Let's promote betting. Betting. Bedding. He always is promoting, promoting betting. Not betting. Like, it's betting. Ask him. You know what? Save it. And we'll, we'll ask him. Yeah. So we're going to have, have him on. So if the ask... Okay. So it, tomorrow's game... I was going to have Mac on today, but you know, I don't want to interrupt him because the Astros are playing at while well, the show's going. Tomorrow they're supposed to play at one o'clock Pacific time, three o'clock Central. So we'll have him on. But if Texas wins tonight, if Texas wins tonight, then that series is over. Then that game becomes a night game. See how we're doing here? So we will bring Matt to Matt on tomorrow if, if the Astros are not playing during our show. How's that? Sounds like a plan to me. Okay. Yeah. You got to remind me because my mind's all over the place, as you know. Betting. Betting or betting. betting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used the word betting before. Hey, let's go get some betting. No, let's go get some betting done. That's what I say. That's what he usually says. By the way, update 6 1, end of the 8th. Yes. This is a little behind. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the Astros are three outs away from taking a 2-1 lead in this best of five series. Astros and the uh, Twins are headed uh, 6-1 to right now. Okay. Tonight, uh, keep an eye on what's happening in the American League. The Baltimore Orioles taking on the Texas Rangers. Texas back home, won the first two games in Baltimore. And the Rangers going for the sweep. The number six seed could be taking out the number one seed. How about that? Wow. We'll see what happens. And I would love that because I would love to see the Astros get by the Twins, have the Rangers beat the Orioles. That means the Astros will have the home field advantage and they own the Rangers. They did this year, every year. That's why they both ended up tied in wins and losses in the American League West, but the Astros got the number one seat, well, won the division, number two overall seat behind Baltimore because they won the season series over the Rangers. All right, Dean Kramer going for Baltimore and Nathan Eovaldi going for the Rangers. I want to thank Sam Gord for joining us, talking Raiders and Packers last night's game. Raiders victorious 17-13. Way to go, Raiders, there. And then also uh, we talked about the WNBA Finals Game 2 coming your way tomorrow night. You'll hear from Asia Wilson tomorrow as we get ready for Game Number 2. And also on the show earlier today, Chris Bazio talking Major League Baseball postseason of playoffs. Go to the website, check everything out. It's there for you. TCMartinShow.com. Back at it 
tomorrow for a wild Wednesday.